Well, good evening, Influence School Ministry. How are we doing? Good. Well, hey, if you could find your seat for me, that would be awesome. And this part will be, this part will be brief. But as you can see today, I'm wearing a white T-shirt. Now, when I put this T-shirt on this morning, I thought to myself, Nathan, do you really want to wear a white T-shirt? Because if throughout the day, if you spill coffee on it, if you spill something on it at lunch, you're going to have to stand in front of a group of people tonight with a coffee stain or whatever, a pink salsa stain or something like that on your shirt. Do you really want to do that? And I thought, well, I could bring a replacement shirt, something, you know, to throw on over it, a jacket or something like that. But I thought, no, I'll be okay. And I'll just, I'll just go for it and hope for the best. And in the back of my mind, too, I, I don't know about you guys, but when I spill food on my shirts, um, the first thing I do is I run to the sink and I try to get as much out as I can, right? But you don't want to scrub too hard because you don't want to take off the cotton material and make it look funny in just that area. But you want to go a little bit deep just so that you can actually get the stain out or at least enough of it so that when you put it in the washing machine, it can do the rest of the job. And there's always that hope of like, well, maybe if I just run it under the water the first time, it'll take care of it. But if not, we do have shout as the backup, right? Woo! And there's, there's this part of me that, that, like, just, if the stain doesn't come out, I'm like, it's not that big of a deal. Like, that's what the washing machine's for. That's what the shout is for. And so then I'll take it to the washing machine, spray some shout on it, do its thing. And there's this hope in me every time. There's this faith in me that just says, you know what? The washing machine is going to get the job done. The shout is going to get the job done. The shout has taken blood stains out of my shirts. It's taken salsa stains out, spaghetti stains out, you name it. And there's just this faith, there's this hope, and, I, and I'm like, I, I kind of haphazardly throw it into the washing machine, hoping and believing that it's going to come out looking brand new. And more times than not, magically, it seems to be that way, which is awesome. It does its job. And I tell that story tonight just to remind our, our soul in part, our hearts, of, of the work that Jesus does. It's kind of a far-fetched analogy, I know, but but bear with me, because I'm, just re- I'm reminded of the fact that, that we're gathered here not to be in a holy huddle, but we're gathered here tonight to walk out of these doors and to go and change the world. And the reason why we would do something like that, the reason why we would invest our time here tonight and on Tuesday nights for the next few weeks is because we believe in this cleansing power. We believe that when we go to the cross that Jesus does purify us, just like when we grab the shout and toss our shirt in the washing machine that the shirt is going to be clean. So, so it is with our life. We believe that when we run to the cross, when we run to Christ, that he cleanses us. And this is, of course, the good news that we then need to take out to the world. And so in part, I tell that story to remind us of why we're here, to remind us of the fact that Jesus purifies us and that that is why we're gathered ultimately, because of his work and because of the work that he wants to do then in other people's lives as well. But I also tell that story because as we read through these, these books and learning about being broken and learning about what it looks like to have a renewed mind where we operate in the supernatural power of the Holy Spirit, there's also that expectancy that we can go to God, that we can go to, to Jesus, and he's going to do his job. Just like we would trust that the shout would do its job, the washing machine would do its job, we can go to Jesus in and, and prayer. When we see somebody who's hurt, and needs healing, we can go to Jesus in prayer and say, hey, you're really good at your job, and I'm just going to trust that you're going to do this right now. And so the story is twofold. One, to remind us of why we're here and of the cleansing blood of Jesus, and, and second, to remind us of the fact that he's really good at his job. And just like we kind of haphazardly throw things in the washing machine, we can have that same degree of like just naive faith in Christ, that he's going to do the things that he said he would do in scripture. And when I say naive, I don't mean that in an ignorant way, but in just a wholehearted believing way that yes, he's good. He's going to get the job done. Let's pray. Oh God, we love you. And Jesus, we just welcome your ministry tonight through your spirit. And Holy Spirit, we we thank you that it is your desire to commune with us and that, uh, that you are our teacher. And so, God, would you open our hearts now to hear the words that you would have for us to hear tonight. Would you anoint Pastor Phil as he teaches that his words are your words. And so, God, open our hearts to you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you welcome up Pastor Phil with me? 
Thank you, Nathan. It's uh, good to see you tonight. Um, welcome to this uh, time that we have together to study the Word of God. I want to uh, I want to read something, and then I'm going to uh, I want to do one introduction. But how many of you had uh, have had some real encounters with some new thoughts and the Spirit of God through the reading of these books and through the process? Just kind of lift your hand up. That's good. Tell somebody next to you what you, what happened. Then go ahead, just take a minute right now. Tell them what, what really happened. What did you f- experience? What did you feel? What did you see? What happened right now? Okay? It's going to give you about one minute to do it. So if you haven't read the book, then you got some catching up to do. All right. It looks like uh, many of you had a lot to say about what God's showing you, and we want to keep giving you opportunities to, to do that. You know, when we're on a break, um, it's great to kind of hang out and, and uh, get a drink and, and talk to your friends, but also be, beware, just uh, um, be conscious, that is, of just sharing what God's doing in your life. And the reason is sometimes what God's doing in your life will spark something in someone's heart that God wants to do in their life. And so you, you become a catalyst, a spiritual catalyst in someone else's life. So Watchman Nee, um, let's just jump into this uh, real quick uh, with, with a thought, and then we're going to start to study it. But Watchman Nee is really trying to get us to basically release the spirit man in us. And to do that, he has to deal with stuff on the outside of us. So I want to read this to you. This is a, a poem that the author, as far as we know, is unknown. But just listen to these words. And when I come to the word man, just supplement the word woman. Okay, it'll rhyme better with the word man because that's the way it was written. All right? So this is in the mankind sense of the word. All right, ladies? When God wants to drill a man and thrill a man and skill a man, When God wants to mold a man to play the noblest part. When he yearns with all of his heart to create so great and bold a man that all the world shall be amazed. Watch his methods, watch his ways. How ruthlessly, how he ruthlessly perfects whom he royally elects. How he hammers him and hurts him and with mighty blows converts him into trial shapes of clay which only God understands. While his tortured heart is crying and he lifts up beseeching hands, how he bends but never breaks when his good he undertakes, how he uses whom he chooses with every purpose fuses him, by every act induces him to try his splendor out. God knows what he's about. So we made you all of you copies of these. You can pick up one at break if you want one. But the thing that's, uh, that always is attention, and you'll find it especially in the reading of uh, the Johnson book for this particular time, is the mystery. The mystery that has to always be searched out. And we as humans, we want all the answers, right? We want to know immediately how does it work, what's God doing, Why'd God do that? And yet, when we find those answers, when everything becomes super simple and Christianity is always explainable to us, have you ever noticed how we don't live in that dimension of wonder? This God that is all-powerful and almighty, he never, we never wonder at him. We're never amazed by him. We're never shaken by, by the unknown. And God wants us to stay in that, even that tension that tension of, of when we pray for someone to be healed and they're not healed, or we pray for someone to be healed and we wonder, does it stick? And we pray for someone to heal and then they stay healed and we go, Even there's a mystery in that. One of the things that uh, Bill says in, in his book is that when you pray for someone and they're not healed, go find a child to pray for them. Because the constant reminder that we have to go back to, this is not about you. This is about him. This is about Jesus. 
and we wanted just Jesus to be released. And sometimes we, with all of our religious experience and all of our training and all of our good and bad and everything else we've done, we get in the way because we think it's about us, and it's never about us. And the minute you think it's about us, then you've got on the wrong track. You don't have to make anything happen. You just have to release Jesus on people and just kind of get out of the way. You know, in uh, Nee's book, the, the Normal Christian Life, he says that normal Christianity is getting you out of the way. It's like a, a window that has to be washed. Till you wash the window, people can't see Jesus. They're just seeing the dirty window. Pretty good. Hey, I want to just uh, introduce you by way of just kind of waving your hand. Back here in the corner, Rich, in the, in the bright orange shirt, easy to spot. Um, Rich um, heard about our, our ministry here, our prayer ministry, and I'm not sure whether it was through the door hanger or exactly how that happened. The door hanger, uh, about the miracle door hanger we put out and, and lives in the community and saw that and contacted us via email and asked us to pray for his healing. And a group of our prayer team were out here earlier praying for him. And we just, uh, Rich, we're thank thankful that God brought you into our circle and that you are a person that we can just speak to you and say, Rich, just be healed in Jesus' name. Thank you for being here. All right. Um, tonight, we're going to uh, we're gonna jump into this thing that gets in the way. Okay, everybody pick up something. Hold it in your hand. You got it? Okay, now pick up something else. It's on your table in front of you. Same hand. Okay. Okay, one more thing. Okay, one more, one more thing, if you could. How are we doing? Okay, anybody reached capacity yet? Reach capacity, raise the other hand. Okay, then those of you who haven't, pick up something else. Okay, how are we doing? Capacity yet? Okay, one more thing, please, one more thing. Okay, anybody, reach, anybody else reach capacity? Raise your hand. Okay, all right. Those of you who haven't, pick up one more thing. One more thing. Hopefully it's not something that spills. Okay, one more thing. Got it? Okay, now just hold it for a minute. You got it? Don't put it down. Don't put it down, Jeremy. Don't put it down. All right. Okay, got it? All those things you held up, hold them. Okay. Now, how does that feel? It feels heavy. Okay. But if I said, but you need to pick up one more thing, you might be able to do it if it was the right thing. So... You can go ahead and put it down now. So Watchman Nee is saying the thing in hand keeps you keeps you from the release of the Spirit. Because so much of your attention or so much of your emotional energy, so much of the outer man is holding on to what is important to you or what you think is important to you, that there's no room for the Spirit of God to be released through you. And what you might be holding in your hand might be something that's really extremely valuable and extremely important and maybe even religious, spiritual, good, right, whatever word that we want to put to it, but what it does is it keeps you from the release of the Spirit. So man, when, when God created man, he created him body, soul, and spirit. So you have a body that you will one day yield because of this life. But you have a, a, you have a soul and a human spirit that is eternal. And you will be further clothed, 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, you will be further clothed, that is, you're going to take on a new spiritual body. And it talks about how there's, you know, there's terrestrial bodies, that is, physical bodies, but there's also celestial bodies. That is, there's something that's spiritual. We don't look to be unclothed, we look to be further clothed. All right, so we have a body and we have a soul. And our soul is primarily our mind and our will and our emotions. So it's possible for this outermost man, this body, to get in the way of the soul or to get into the way of the spirit. And we can encumber ourselves with so much stuff. For example, if you're so encumbered with what's on your mind, soulish man, that you can't even transform your mind, you can't renew your mind, then you can't release your spirit man. You can become so consumed with your mind that is in your soulish mind, you can learn so much stuff that you become so smart and so knowledgeable that you can ask, absolutely discount what God can do. One of the things that I think we've all been aware of, one degree or another, is some of the great miracles that God does in 
um, let's say, a more primitive culture, really, in, in spiritually, a more advanced culture. See the difference? In a primitive culture from man's perspective, but more mature in a spiritual kingdom. Because what do they do? They, sometimes they just say, well, I just believe God's going to do that, and God does that. And we think, well, yeah, God could do that, but I don't know if God would do that because God hasn't done that. And after all, I read this book, and this book told me how God couldn't do that. Therefore, I'm pretty sure God can't do that. And we talk God out of everything God wants to do in our life. Does that make sense? It really does. And, and sometimes it's like Ecclesiastes says. It says he increases in, in, in knowledge, increases in sorrow. Modern translation the reading of many books causes a headache, okay? But what happens is sometimes you can get so much knowledge, but you never release it. What did Jesus say? You can't be just a hearer of the word. you got to be a what? A doer of the word. you got to release it. So if you hear something, for example, we're talking about the way the Spirit of God moves and what we've got to do with this outermost man or this outer man, and you don't do anything with it, it never gets released, does it? I like what Nee says. He says, you know, the spirit man, now this is to differentiate from the Holy Spirit, okay? The Holy Spirit comes to live in our spirit because we're created body, soul, and what? Spirit. Holy Spirit comes to live in our spirit. And he talks about this, an interesting concept. He says, the spirit man is pure. He says colorless is the way he describes it. But what happens is it's colored or tainted by the soulish man or the outer man. So we really never see this full release of our spirit. People don't really see the Jesus in us because we've got so many encumbrances in our life. And, and we also do this thing called posing. You know what I'm talking about? I don't, wanna, I don't want anybody to believe that I'm not spiritual. I don't want anybody to believe I'm not close to God. You ever had those moments? So what you have to do is you have to avoid people. That's why I really believe some people just don't show up at church sometimes. I think they ask, yeah, I don't really feel like it. And, you know, there's something inside of us when I get around some, if I get around a certain person, they're really walking with God. I'm, they don't even have to say anything. I feel it. I just feel it. I go, ah, yeah, I'm, I'm going to dodge that one. But what we do is we, we, we need to just come to grips with that's just pride. We have to humble ourselves under the mighty hand of God, Scripture says, and just in humility just say, you know what, I just need to die to that. I need to release that. What's in my hand that's keeping God to just fully be released? Okay, I want all of you to think about a moment in your life right now. Just get ready. Think about this moment. I'll give you a second to think about it. A moment in your life when you felt the closest you ever could be possibly to God in your history. Okay? You got it? Just really close to God. What did you worry about in those moments? Really, you probably didn't worry about anything, right? You might have thought about something, but you didn't worry about anything. Why? What made the difference? What made the difference? Why did it not worry you then? And then what changed? So if you have worry right now, anxiety right now, what is, what is holding that back? It is that relationship. It is that release. It's the stuff we color our spirit man with that prevents us from fully being released, from him being released in our life. You ever been around somebody you just thought, man, they just are so full of Jesus. I don't know what they did or what they're on or what they got. You know, I want some of that, you know. And, and you just think, what's happening in their life? What's happening in their world? And chances are they're not aware of it. If they're aware of it, they probably don't have it. It's probably manufactured. I can't, if I think I'm humble, I'm not. Is that a pretty good? If I think I'm proud, I probably am. You see how those work in the opposite? Right? If I think I'm humble, I'm probably not. So what I want to do is say, what was it that brought me to the place of purity in my spirit? Okay, just think about it. Got a minute? Okay, now I'm just going to do some shout-outs here. So if, if you can express that in one or two words, you know, I'm not looking for a paragraph here, one or two words you could shout-out. What is it that brought you to a point of, of purity in spirit at some season in your life? Just shout it out, and I'll try to repeat it, okay? Humble? Okay. Uh, what? 
Yeah, you're humbled. Yeah, that's what I meant. I think I said humble. I didn't get the whole piece of it. Okay, what else? Okay, brokenness. Huh? Transparent? Only way to look up, so maybe desperation in some way. Okay. Huh? Pain. Okay. Oh, yeah, just I tried everything I could. I can't control the situation. Okay, what else? Crazy what? Trust. Okay. Okay. Illness. Yeah. Anything else? Okay, giving up. Have you ever prayed a prayer like this? God, I really like to learn all these lessons without going through difficulty. I mean, that is my favorite prayer. Dear God, I know that pain is really good for me because it really brings me through some new th- lessons in life. But God, could you put me on a different track, right? I don't want to be dumb. And, you know, and sometimes, you know, I, I will say many of the times, let's say 50% of the time, and that's just a arbitrary number, 50% of the time the pain that I go through is because of some mistake I've made, some decision I've made in my life, and the other 50 is maybe out of my control, right? Maybe that's just a fair number. Okay. I can control the first piece, right? That that is that, you know, it's something I did. Something I did. So what is what do we have to do? If if I'm gonna walk with wisdom and understanding, I have to walk with the wisdom and understanding that comes from God and not from me. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Anybody know the rest of it? Lean not on your own what? Understanding. Well, I'm just trying to figure this out. I have to get my spirit man engaged in this in a really powerful way. Let's take our books and take a look here. We're going to be looking at uh, chapters um, uh, 3 and 4 tonight in our book. And I'd like you just to, uh, if you would, go to page 22. Okay? Go to page 22. He says our physical strength, first new paragraph, our physical strength is limited. So it is with our soul strength, our outward man. As long as we have things in hand, we cannot do God's work. Oh, I'm sorry. I have a different book. I forgot. So I think it's like two pages further, right? What is it? I got to get the new book. My book's like 30 years old. Okay. Do we have it? It's on 20, 35. We realize then that our physical strength is limited. Do we have it? page. I promise next week to use the new book. I promise. All right. 37. In the Watchman Knee book. Okay. Okay. See, my book, it's on 22. It doesn't take him as long to say stuff in my version. You have the remedial version. You know, it's a little bit longer, you know. Okay. Okay, as long as we, do we have it now? And everybody have it or, need, or not? Okay, we realize then that just as our physical strength is limited, so it is with our soul strength of our outward man. As long as we have things in hand, we cannot do the work of God. Now, I want to just emphasize one word, cannot. It doesn't say it's hard, unlikely, you get a little bit done, you cannot do the work of God. You can do church work, you can do religious work, you can do work that even looks, smells, and feels spiritual. You might even, and watch this, I'm going to go somewhere far here, you might even do a miracle. You know, the most, to me, the most frightening verse in the Bible is when they come and they say, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name? Did we not do miracles in your name? And, and he says, depart from me, I never knew you. I mean, I don't know of any verse that's worse other than depart from me, I never knew you at all completely, you know. I mean, to be tricked into that, because in the fleshly man, in the soulish man, we can see things happen that aren't of God. What we want to do is always, if we always live this crucified life, if we always live this life of walking broken before God, and, and how does that happen in my life? Well, some of you identify difficulty. Some of you divide a, a faith that was robust, right? Uh, some of you, I mean, think about just a daily decision. How many believe it's possible to be sinless? Just raise your hand. 
I believe it in heaven. That's not trick. I just didn't give all the I didn't give you all the information, right? It's possible to be sinless in heaven. Okay, it was a trick question. Okay, how many of you believe it's possible to sin less than you are right now? And what about the rest of you? You're not committing to nothing, right? Okay, what would it take for me to live that kind of life? Wouldn't it be a life like this? God, I just want to trust you for the next 10 seconds that I can walk faithfully before you. Do you think, how many of you think you could do it for 10 seconds? Okay, then live your life in 10-second increments. That's true. That is really true. Well, what if I can do it for 20? Then live your life in 20-second increments. Jesus said take up your cross daily. He said 24 hours is max for anybody. I have to set myself apart. I have to say, God, I got to just, I got to get out of the picture. I, one, of the, one of the books that was thrilling to me to read was Hudson Taylor, Missionary to, uh, to China. And he wrote this book. It's the only uh, autobiography I believe he wrote. Um, and he, he, he talked about going to China. And here's what he did. He, he actually came from a pretty wealthy home. But in order to get himself ready for China, what he did was he started eating one cup of rice a day. And not sleeping on his comfortable bed, but sleeping on the floor. Because he had to kill his soulish man of comfort so that it would be prepared for that time when he would have a cup of rice, when he would have no bed as he would know in England. And he was preparing himself for that living. Now, that would be kind of an aesthetic lifestyle, right? I mean, it would be kind of that style of that lifestyle where we're, we're living you know, humbly, we're trying to, to break ourselves down and not live that life. Okay, I think he did it for the right reason. It's not that we live our life to punish ourselves, but what we do, we've got to say, how do, I get, how do I get the outer man so that it's behaving according to the spiritual man on the inside? And that's kind of the challenge that he puts before us. Let's just keep reading a little bit more here. Uh, again, he goes and says, uh, one may have many things in hand emotionally, such as varied and conflict, conflicting likes or dislikes, inclinations or expectations, all of these with a magnetic attraction. With so many things in hand, when God asks for his affection, he cannot respond, for he has already used up all of his emotion. A little bit further, last sentence in that one. Then when emotion is wasted on lesser things, it cannot be used unrestrict, uh, in an unrestricted manner for God. I don't have anything left. Anything left. I told this story a couple of times uh, in different settings and, uh, and maybe even in this setting, but it bears again in Isaiah talks about a man who kills an animal he, kill, he skins the animal, he makes clothes, he eats the meat, he takes the bones, he makes tools, he gets completely done, and all he has is leftovers. He just, it, nothing he wants. He sets it up and he worships it. You see, after he's got everything he wants, he worships what's left over. If we live our life with God on a daily basis, I just give him what's left over after I've milked everything out of what I have and what I want. I've got all the best, and I give God only that. I cannot expect the release of the Spirit in my life. I asked you earlier, the, the greatest thing you could honestly say was, I remember that time when I was so close to God, and I just felt like I didn't have fear, I didn't have worry. There was a pure spiritual kind of dimension working in my life, and that was a really good time, right? It's a really good time. Why would I not crave that? Why would I do, not do anything on God's earth to get to that place in my life if it was that good, if it was that wonderful? What is it that keeps us there? We're tricked by this outer man, this man that wants to get the best of us. Um, I'm, I'm afraid to kind of say what page it's on, so I'm going to go on. Um, in that reading, it, you should have a caption that says, The Spirit's Use of a Broken Outward Man. Okay, and then if you go down to uh, the sentence in that paragraph, it's about the third line. It says, in order to touch other lives, do you have it? In order to touch other lives, our spirit must pass through the outward man. Hence, when the latter's strength is consumed by the many things in hand, God cannot do his work through us. There is no outlet for the human spirit nor for the Holy Spirit. The inward man cannot come forth because 
He is resisted and blocked by the outward man. The thing in hand is there before God begins to work. It does not belong to God, nor does God need it in order, um, in order uh, power or decision to be carried out. It is not something under the hand of God, but rather independent action. Before your outward man is broken, you are occupied with your own things, your walk, your way, and your love for your own people. I don't know about you, but I can't read that and not feel a little bit convicted. Does that do anything to you, or does it just kind of like, because what I, I start doing, I start doing the little checklist. What is it I put before him? You ever felt like you needed to pray, and you didn't? Why not? Why didn't you pray? I didn't have time. What else? What other reasons do we not pray in moments like that? Just shout it out. Procrastination. What else? Pride. Too busy. Fall asleep. Yeah, that's why you always pray standing up. That's the key. <laughs> key to effective prayer is keep walking. <laughs> right? That's what I do. You know, I mean, if I get on my knees, lay down, forget about it. I'm gone, right? But, you know, uh, I walk and talk out loud. I believe there's, I, I believe more, the most effective prayers are walking, talking prayers for two reasons. Number one, I stay awake. Those are far more effective than me falling asleep. Number two, I think when I speak it, I put the enemy on notice and I, and I reinforce in my mind what I'm saying. Okay? All right, what else? What other reason? What keeps us from prayer? Huh? Oh, do you want to respond to an email? Oh, yeah, that's what I meant. I think that's what I meant, but I didn't say it very well. So, okay, so, yeah, you're, you're busy. Something came in, I can't pray right now, okay? It's distractions, right? Maybe it's something else. Maybe nothing you said is true. Maybe that's not true. What? Maybe that's not true. Huh? Principalities, okay, wicked rulers are coming against me. What else? Yeah, what if that's not true? Huh? Not valuing God. What if that's not true? What if it's I really don't believe prayer has that much effectiveness? If it really, if I really believe that prayer could do what I think and I say prayer does, would I not always stop instantly and pray? I think we live with this idea that prayer doesn't really do do anything other than make me feel better and comfort because God's going to do what he wants to do anyway or whatever's going to happen is going to happen or somebody else is going to pray or something or whatever but what if what if prayer really did do what God said it would do and we really believe that don't we behave based on our belief system why is it prayer becomes the last thing we do and I think it's because of the thing in hand the thing at hand is I'm really not sure that prayer really does what I think prayer will do. And, you know, everybody in this room is capable. You're high-capacity people in one dimension of your life or more. And you know how to get something done. You know how to get something done. I was, uh, we were chatting today, and I was talking about, I, I'm one of those guys that just kind of can make things happen, make connections, you know, kind of leverage things, and, and, I honestly say that all the times that I've done that have never been nearly as effective as when I've just released and let God get things, put the connections together, because those are the ones that last. All the ones I try to make, I get something done. I even feel good about myself. Hey, way to go, man. You made that connection. You leveraged that. You made that thing happen. But when I just step back and let God do something, it's amazing how things begin to happen. And I've had that conversation with many of you. And I, I'm not like Mark Reynolds over there. I mean, I'm talking to Mark, and, you know, he said, you know, I, I've got this, uh, this, this deal that's coming down, and I don't know what happens. It's just like it's pursuing me. It's like that thing in that newsletter from uh, 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 Heidi Baker, and she said, you know, we don't pursue revival anymore. It pursues us. We want to walk in the Spirit in such a way that everything that God is doing, it's pursuing us. We're not, we're not having to pursue opportunities and make connections. We're just letting God just kind of flow. And all of a sudden, we're getting this flow of the Spirit. 
Remember when Jesus said, you know, in John, he said, you know, the Spirit of God is like a, is like a river inside of you. It just keeps flowing. Think about a characteristic of a river. You know what it does? It makes its own way. It charts its own course. Obstacles get in the way. It flushes them out of the way. So it is with the Spirit of God in man. And he said, if you really thirst like that, out of your innermost being shall flow those rivers of living water. And so you don't become like, a, you know, a dam that's just holding everything. I got, I got to hold on to all that God's taught me so far because if I don't, you know, I don't know what's going to happen. I'll release a little bit when I need to release a little bit. But what if you become this artesian spring of just always bubbling forth the life of God, always bubbling forth something in the, you know, yeah, it's in the way, you know, have no anxiety about anything, Paul said. Why? Because it holds back what God wants to do. In everything, by prayer and supplication, everything, just the big things, right, God? Because I can handle the little things. In everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your request be made known unto God that the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. I'm just releasing the Spirit of God. I'm walking in the Spirit of God. Because if I'm not doing that, if, if I don't allow God to break this outer man, I never really get to the place of fully understanding some of the other stuff, the, the deeper things that God wants to teach me in this realm of the supernatural. And if I am functioning in the supernatural, I have to always go back and go, is it me or is it him? I'm going to tell this story. I told it in church, but I know some of you weren't there. Uh, I was up at Bethel and went to the school of... of um, uh, healing up there, and Tammy was going to come in the next day, and I went there, and I'm um, standing there, and the, the guy gets up, and uh, uh, actually Chris Gore, the, the workbook we worked through in the last class, and he said, uh, hey, uh, I just want to, we want to just pray for you tonight, and how many of you have floaties in your eyes? And for those of you who don't know what those are, they're just kind of like little little dots, and you go, they're floating around, they're kind of making their way around, and, and I'm sitting there going, yeah, I got some of those. He says, I want you to stand up. We want to pray. And, and here's what I did. I said, I can live with my floaties. I can live with them. They're fine. You know, no big deal. Somebody's got bad floaties. Let them stand up. You know, okay. And all that kind of stuff. And God tricked me. He tricked me because he said, uh, um, if, you, uh, if, if you have floaties, stand up is what he said. But I thought what he said is if somebody around you is standing up with floaties, then extend your hand toward him, you know, stand up toward him and, and extend your hand toward him or, or lay your hands on him. And so I thought, I'll do that. This poor guy in front of me, he's got bad floaties. I'm going to help this dude out. You know, you know, after all, you know, he's suffering from floaty, floatyitis or whatever it is, right? So I'm standing up there and I'm all by myself. You know, I'm just kind of standing there. The whole row's empty. Guys, he's not here. He's there. It's like where Jeremy would be. And I just stand up, you know, in my most spiritual, you know, extend my hand posture. You know what I'm talking about. You know, some are more spiritual than others. You know, you got, you got this one. You got, you know, you know, I'm parting the Red Sea right now. Floaties are going to leave. Okay. And so I'm standing there like that. And uh, then he says, uh, you know, I'm not going to pray for you. And he looked down. And he sees this little boy. He looks like he's maybe 11 or 12 years old. And he said, hey, son, would you come up here? And he's looking around like, you know, like I just got drugged here by my parents. I mean, that's how he looked, right? He says, yeah, come on up here. He said, I want you to pray for these people. I want you to pray for their floaties. And he goes, the kid goes, what's floaties? He goes, uh, you know, don't worry about it. It's just something in their eye. You just need to tell them to go away. Okay? So uh, he said, just a minute now. He's going to pray, but I'm going to ask members of our prayer team. This is where I got confused. Pray members of our prayer team to come and pray for those who have the floaties. So I'm standing up, extending it. I'm standing up like the guy with floaties, which I do have floaties. So here comes this young gal over, you know, and she goes, uh, can I pray for you? And I'm, dang, I must have mixed up some." You have floaties, right? And I go, well, am I going to lie to that? <laughs> yeah, I got some floaties. And she says, okay, well, I'm just going to pray for you. Uh, or we're just gonna, I'm just going to lay my hands on your eyes right now. Is that okay? And I go, yeah, that'll be fine. And then now I said, now the little boy's going to pray. So here's this 11-year-old boy. He's not highly trained in the gift of healing. <laughs> he has not been to, you know, Bill Johnson's healing school. He's not read the books. He's an 11-year-old kid who probably would love to play basketball in that moment. I don't know what he was going on. So here's how he prayed. Okay, now I got my eyes closed. I'm sitting there thinking, you tricked me, God. Here I am, tricked, tricked by Jehovah Sneaky. <laughs> All right? And the kid goes like this, floaties go. That was his prayer. Well, that was kind of the goal, right? Floaties go. 
So I'm sitting there, and I open up my eyes, and I'm looking around. I'm thinking, uh, I don't see any floaties. So I blink my eyes. I know it's a mistake. I'm going to get the floaties moving. <laughs> right? I've got to activate some floaties. <laughs> floaties are gone. Floaties haven't come back. Now, the reason I tell that story is because it wasn't about the young girl whose name I don't even know. It wasn't about my faith. It wasn't about my righteousness. It wasn't about my sin or lack thereof. It wasn't about the professional that was leading the seminar, Chris Gore. Okay? And it wasn't about the 11-year-old boy. It was just about Jesus. And somehow in that innocence of that little boy, there was a release. God honored the release. Just as he does, as Jesus teaches us, if we're going to learn anything about the kingdom, if we're going to even come into the kingdom, we have to come as a little what? Child, not a PhD, as a little child. And the purest way, the, the best way to get the little child activated in us is for the outside of us to die is to quit thinking it's about us anyway. It's about quit trying to work it up. You know, I've got to work up enough faith. got to work up enough. No, it's not about you. And the more it's about you, the more we're demonstrating it's the soulish man functioning in our life. Let me give an example here. Um, by the way, we've, uh, I'm really thrilled by the, the Bible clubs we're starting. We've got three of the schools that are now, you know, in rush week getting kids and you guys both there today? Who all was there today with Bible clubs? Just raise your hand. Brad, who else? Lucinda, yeah, okay. So, um, hey, just quick, which school were you at? Valencia today, all three of you? Okay, and how did it go? That's it? It went good. 43 kids at Valencia. That's awesome, amen. And then uh, Esperanza was... We had that one also, and how many signed up at Esperanza? Close to 50 there. Amen. And we've still got Esperanza. They still, there's more days going on, right? Two more? Three more days? Okay, all week then. It's all week. So you guys could have 100 at every one of these schools very easily, right? Amen. And, and, and you know, think about this. Think about God taking a handful of people who've never done this before. Have you, any three of you ever done a Bible, Bible club in a high school in your life? No. Totally disqualified. You really are. I mean, if, if there was a resume, we're looking for somebody, we're looking for an experienced uh, Bible club person to go on a high school campus, start Bible clubs, go up to people and tell them they should take a break on their lunch, come in here and study the Word of God. You've not had any experience with that. Okay. And the more you don't have that and the more you rely on him, the more effective you are. So let's talk about witnessing. And I jotted this down here. I just take some notes here because I think this is good. Have you, how many of you have ever, um, first of all, thought about sharing your faith? Raise your hand. Just thought about it. You'd, I'm not saying if you did it. Just thought, yeah, I could probably do that sometime. Okay. Got it? Okay. All right. Would you just pat yourself on the back? Uh, this is, I mean, I'm, I'm not trying to fool you. This is not a trick. That's good. A lot of people never even think about sharing their faith. Okay, let's take it to the next level. Okay, how many of you um, have thought about how you would do that? Okay, you've thought about sharing, but now you're thinking that you're going through a method. How would I go about doing that? Just raise your hand. Keep them up. This is, this is okay. You can raise your hand. You're, you're not going to be labeled something. Okay, number three. How many of you thought about then someone, you got a name on your head of someone? Okay, well, if I did ever do that, I know who it would be. Raise your hand. Okay, congratulate yourself. That's good. Okay, now the next one is, how many of you actually rehearsed then how to do it? Okay, if I did it, to that one, and I'd go, this is how I would start. How many of you have done that? Raise your hand. Okay, participate. This is fun. You've never thought about this seriously? Okay. All right, now the, the next stage is, and then how many have actually done that? You've actually shared your faith with somebody. Okay. All right, now, let me tell you why I took you through that. Every step of those required a little dying of self. Every step required a little bit of the outer man having to die. 
Because you took some of your time to think about, yeah, I guess I could do that. And you had to stop thinking about other stuff that was important to you. And then every level you go through that, it's a little bit more, a little bit more. And the, the ultimate kind of the, the dying is when you actually step out and you do it, because what you're doing is you're basically just kind of throwing yourself out to what? Criticism, ridicule, rejection, everything that Jesus experienced when he went to the cross. Everything, every dimension of it, you're throwing yourself out there before that. He was humiliated. He was rejected of men. He opened not his mouth in the sense that he wasn't reviling. He wasn't throwing reviling curses back at them. He was probably embarrassed in his humanness as he was stripped naked before the crowd. He was spit on. He was cursed. He was beaten. All that kind of stuff. When you witness, the word witness, the Greek word is martus. It means martyr. You are literally acting out a martyr existence. And that's healthy. Because it gets you out of the way and gets him in the, right in the front and center of life. So I want you to think about those stages. You know, and just kind of start walking yourself through them and say, you know what, maybe I'm at level four. You know, I'm just, I've got somebody on my head now that I think I should, I should share that with. And, and just kind of go through that process. Let's, um, let's go to... Um, Let's see what time is it here. Okay, I got time for a story. Let's go to the book of Numbers. Can you turn in your Bible to the book of Numbers? And we're going to go to Numbers chapter 22. And we're going to uh, talk, find a guy named Balaam. Anybody know this story of Balaam? I love this story. The poor dude was so thick in the skull, wasn't he? So Balaam is this guy who's a prophet, and he's, uh, he's pretty good at, at kind of getting, you know, getting answers, and, and guess what he does? He does it for gain. He does it for money. So he's always kind of finding himself, how am I going to work, you know, work both sides of this thing and kind of make it happen? So let's go to Numbers chapter 22, and let's just go to verse 22. Now, what's happened here is, Balak, B-A-L-A-K, Balak, he tries to recruit Balaam in order to find out how he can crush the nation of Israel. He wants to destroy them is really what's going on here. And so um, God's, you know, he's trying to discourage this guy. And so as he starts to go through this whole process he, he, and, 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 and betray, God says in verse 22, God's anger was aroused because he went and the angel of the Lord took his stand in the way of the, uh, as an adversary against him, and he was riding on his donkey, and the two servants were with him. So God's saying, I'm going to stop Balaam from doing what Balaam intends to do. You ever, you, ever, you ever had somebody try to stop you from doing the wrong thing, and you did it anyway? Do you ever think that maybe God sent an angel to stop you, and you were just so hard-headed, you were determined to go ahead and do it? Well, that's what this story is about, if you can relate to that. Now, verse 23, and the donkey saw the angel of the Lord. What I love about this is the donkey had more spiritual insight than the prophet. You know you're in trouble when the donkey's got more is more spiritual than you. Okay. Standing in the way with his, uh, with his drawn sword in his hand, and the donkey turned aside out of the way and went into the field. So Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back onto the road. You know, everybody just go, poor donkey, right? Let's all say it together. Ready? Poor donkey. Okay. The angel of the Lord stood in the narrow path between the vineyards with the wall on this side and a wall on that side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, he pushed herself against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall. So he struck her again. All right, let's say it again. Ready? Poor donkey. Got it. Okay. Then the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow path where there was no way to turn to the right or to the left. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam's anger was aroused. He struck the donkey with his staff. Thank you. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. This is the best part. And she said to Balaam, what have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? I love this part. And Balaam said to the donkey, he never even stops. Wait a minute. Wait a minute here. I got a talking donkey. 
I'm trying to get money out of the king, Balak, and I've got a talking donkey. I can put this dude on the road. He never, he didn't even smart enough to figure this one out, right? He, so he says to the donkey, because you have abused me and I wish there were a sword in my hand, for now I would kill you. So the donkey said to Balaam, they're in dialogue. Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden ever since I became yours to this day? Was I ever disposed to you to do this to you? And he said, no. No, matter of fact, you've been a pretty good donkey. Up until now, you know, didn't even know you liked me. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes, and he saw the angel Lord standing in the way with his uh, drawn sword in his hand. He bowed his head flat and fell flat on his face. And the angel Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come to stand against you because your way is perverse before me. Pretty crazy, huh? Okay. Go over to um, chapter 23, and let's look at verse 18 and 20. Balaam makes a prophecy here. Rise up. He says, uh, God is not a man. Here's what he says. Then the Lord took up his oracle and said, Rise up, Balak, and hear. Listen to me, son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie, nor the son of man that he should repent. Has he not said it, and will he not do it? Or has he not spoken, and will he not make it good? Behold, I have received a command to bless. He has blessed, and I cannot reverse it. So he goes to Balak and he says, you know, I would love to be able to do what you said and get the money. But I cannot bless, I cannot curse what God has blessed. Has God spoken it? God will make it true. Now, we're going to take a break on this, but I want you to leave with this thought as you take a break. What has God said in his word about what you can do and who you are? Is God is not a man that he should lie. If God has to send a jackass into your world to convince you about something, so be it. But God's word is true. Take God at his word, at his command, and follow the Lord. The blessings of God that he's put on you, receive them. The commands that God has given you, do them. Well, what if it doesn't make sense? That doesn't make sense. You want to know what doesn't make sense? First of all, is a talking donkey. Then secondly, a conversation going on. That doesn't make sense. Nothing you're going through is weirder than that. God put that in there. You know why I think God puts stories like that in there? Because you know, sometimes I read these stories and I go, seriously, God. You know, it'd be a lot easier if that story was not in there because how am I going to explain that? Who's reasoning? What's in my hand? My ability to reason. What is logical? You see, what, what is logical in the natural world seems to be illogical in the spiritual world. And what is logical in the spiritual world is illogical in the natural world. And you've got two big categories here. You've got the natural category and the supernatural category. You can live in either one. As Tammy said uh, last week, there's two doors. Which door are you going to go through? Which door are you going to live in? The natural world, that's fine. It comes with its benefits. The supernatural world, it comes with its benefits. You get to choose which world you want to operate from. 